Hi Cop Prairie. I'm here in Old Town Lenexa standing outside a 100 year old bungalow on the main street of Flum and Santa Fe. And about 14 years ago, a business owner named Michelle Staley spent one evening unpacking her things to move her new antique business into this century old building. While she was doing that, she noticed things like the tools keep disappearing or suddenly I think I hear footsteps on the second floor. It was like the pitter patter of footsteps on a hardwood floor. Despite the fact that nobody, was, uh, nobody else was in the building and despite the fact that there was carpeting on the second floor. She was there one evening getting the business ready to open and noticed a cool breeze behind her. She turned back and saw at the top of the stairway a three foot tall black blob, this, this gauze like thing. And she turned and looked and it rapidly moved up the stairs. She was horrified what she thought was happening was really happening. There was paranormal activity happening in the building. She ran out, she locked that front door and drove home quickly and told her husband in breathless, breathless tone just the scary thing she had seen. And of course, like a good husband, he laughed at her, but she came back. And over the next couple months, she came to realize that there was some sort of paranormal experience happening inside this building. Now, it was an antique store, right? So she had, she had not only dresses and items for, for collecting, but she had furniture too. One of those pieces of furniture was a women's, a women's dresser. And on top of the dresser, there were scarves and combs and perfumes. She started noticing that how she left it one evening, it would be different the next morning. The perfumes would be rearranged. Once she says she even noticed the aura of perfume around the dresser. When she sold that dresser, a few days later, she heard the sound, faintest whimper, faintest sound of sobbing. She said out loud, I will not sell any of these things, picking up some, some combs and some jewelry and some perfumes and set it firmly on the table for anyone in the building to hear. Eventually customers started reporting things. My kids said there was a little boy up there, but there was no boy in the building. And then one time a little girl said, I have to get the children out and ran toward the entry to the crawl space on the second floor. Things like this happened all the time. And Ms. Staley, a born and bred Southern Baptist, gradually began to rearrange her position on whether or not there were paranormal activity in the real world. That, my friends, is what I'm here to talk about today. Not, not whether there's ghosts, but how we can prevent ourselves from becoming a ghost. I hope you'll stay with me as today we explore message number two of the monsters we become, ghosts. So who believes in ghosts? You know, Pew Research, the, the credible research organization, did a survey about 10 years ago. It said 
18% of American adults think that they have seen or been in the presence of a spirit. And other research suggests at least half of Americans believe that they exist. What about you? So I want you to look in the chat box now if you're following us live on live.cawprairie.org. If you have ever seen or believe you've been in the presence of a paranormal being, I want you to press the icon there. Chris has uh, found one that uh, he thinks matches. Press it. And if you haven't, well, whether or not you have, but you agree they could exist, press the button too, okay? So we have some idea now in real time of whether this group of watchers today thinks that ghosts are real. And actually, Scripture tells us that ghosts are kind of real. If you look at 1 Samuel 28, there's the story of King Saul. King Saul is nervous to death. Well, he's nervous to death because it's been predicted he would die. He's nervous to death about a battle that's starting the next day. So panicking for confirmation that it, he won't die, that, the, that he'll win the battle, that he'll be okay, he searches out for a medium, a witch, even though he's banned them in all the nation and made it a punishable by death crime, he finds one, the witch at Endor. You could look it up. And then he asks her to call up the spirit of the recently deceased prophet Samuel, his former and disappointed mentor. So look that up. It's in the Bible. So there's some biblical agreement that spirits exist who could be called ghosts. Me personally, I've never seen a ghost or a phantom. But I have felt the presence of God, not just in my life, not just a spiritual solidness and foundation, but I felt the presence of Jesus in the room with me, in the room as I prayed with people, in the room, and I felt the presence of evil in a room as I, with the power of the Holy Spirit, prayer, and lots of trepidation, tried to confront the evil that I saw. I don't believe in ghosts but I sure as heck believe in the supernatural powers that exist in, with, and under the world we live in. And because of that, I won't be shocked or offended if you believe more in ghosts than I do. The reality is, despite all this long lead-up, the point of this message is not to discuss the reality or some of the biblical evidence for ghosts. The point of this sermon isn't to focus on who are ghosts, but on how to prevent us from becoming them. That is, becoming a person who for some reason is stuck in the past, so much so that they can't fully be present in the present. To keep us from being the kind of people who go through life as wisps or phantoms, because we are not willing to place our feet and our lives and our concentration and our vulnerability firmly in the here and now trusting Jesus, growing as his disciple, and blessing others with our lives. So I want to tell you about three different kinds of ghosts. The first are the supernatural, paranormal kind, the kind that you, you, you see in movies, the kind you hear about on um, investigative news journal magazines, sort of, the kind you pick up in supermarket tabloids. Those supernatural scary ghosts, those aren't us. They never will be. Whether or not they're real doesn't matter to me. But the next kind of ghost is very real and is very evil. And this is the evil human ghost. Whose, people whose hearts are so hollow and brains are so broken and yet they refuse to trust Jesus 
to fill their hearts or heal their minds. And instead, they, they go through life ready to drain the joy, to, to drain the freedom, to drain the life out of people around them or whole communities around them. People who don't love God and who don't love joy. It seems a depressing thing to talk about, certainly not something we usually do, but if we're going to talk ghosts, we have to be, we have to be honest. Those kinds of people exist. How they got that way is a bigger topic than we have for today, but you know they exist. I'm talking about whether it's the, the common criminal who's, who's let go of their good upbringing from their single parent, whether they've, they've let go of the few good role models they did have and they've decided to join a gang or a, or a miscreant group of friends and do some terrible things in order to fit in. Those common criminals and then there's the other kind, the kind that fit in a lot longer and a lot more, a lot more easily in the, in the sanitized neighborhoods that we live in, right? I'm talking about the angry, resentful on the inside. Don't act like a criminal, but think like a ghost, people. The kind that one day will snap and throw the guns from their safe into their trunk and drive to an elementary school and shoot the children. Drive to a movie theater and shoot the couples that are out on dates. That will drive, they'll drive to a church and murder people in a Bible study. That'll drive to a country music festival and shoot people out of a window to see how many they can kill and whether they'll, they'll kill enough people to make it somewhere in Wikipedia. I'm talking about from the workplaces to the naval bases where human beings allow evil to take them over and become unhuman ghosts. Shells, hollowed out things. The danger for every one of us is so real that we will let the resentment inside of us and the anger around us and the gullibility that swirls inside of us and allow us to walk that evil pathway. And then there's the ghost accomplices. There are far more of these. I'm thinking of the go-along, get-along kind of mindset that took this functional World War I-era democracy in Germany after their defeat and, and through, through charismatic, totalitarian, nationalistic, immigrant shaming leadership turned a country that could have been something wonderful into a country that was run on evil. And all the bureaucrats and all the neighborhood people and all the business people who had to go along with that for whom it was too difficult to say this doesn't feel right and so they just kept their head down and went along. I think about the church along the railroad tracks when one Sunday morning during the sermon they heard a train go by and they heard from inside the train cars the screams of people, whether they knew them at the time or not. Those were, those were handicapped people. Those were homosexuals. Those were Jewish prisoners. They were political prisoners. And they were going, they were going to a concentration camp. And instead of the pastor addressing that and calling what was happening for the evil that it was, he nodded to the organist and the organist played to him. And when it wasn't loud enough to drown out the singing, he put another rank on the organ and they sang even louder to drown out the screams and drown out the truth that they themselves were becoming people who were ghosts. People who did not respond to the here and now but were living in some illusion outside outside of reality that was helping them form their decisions in reality and turning their minds and their will into empty, pathetic ghosts. 
See, John, John F. Kennedy said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that is so, so possible for any one of us to do. But I'm not here to tell those evil ghost human stories. I'm not here to tell you any more paranormal stories. I'm here because the message point of today is not to discuss what a ghost is, but to encourage us what we need to do not to become one ourselves. And Jesus tells the story of a much more common kind of ghost, not the grotesque American mass shooter, not the, not the historical, disgusting German Nazi-era Hitler Youth Jugend neighborhood leader. I'm talking about the non-gun-toting, non-propaganda-swallowing, non-evil but just empty human being that any one of us can become. I want you to look at me, look with me at the parable of the ghost. Okay, that's not what it's called. It's called the parable of the unforgiving debtor in Matthew 18. So Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Not seven times, Jesus said, but 70 times seven. In other words, as many times as you need to. It was kind of a made-up number formulation. You need to forgive them a gajillion times, is what Jesus said. And he said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave the debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. The fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. He said, be patient with me and I'll repay it, he said. But his creditor, the first servant, wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me? Shouldn't you, have fellow, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you for, refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So this is a great sermon on the necessity of forgiving. But that's not exactly the angle that I'm taking here. I'm taking here the angle that this man embodies what it means to be a ghost. He's stuck in the past so much that he's only partially here in the present to do the right thing in the present instead of the wrong thing. What was it that made him such a ghost? Was he spoiled? Does the word privilege come to mind? Think about it. This guy, this guy had had to be a good enough businessman, a good enough salesman, a good enough idea generator. He must have had a sufficient track record that the king was willing to loan him an insane amount of money. He must have been successful enough to feel proud of himself, good enough about himself. He must have had some advantages to get as far as he did, even as a servant. And so when he was given mercy by the king, there was probably something inside of him that thought, man, I'm really lucky. 
I really probably deserved it. And I'm glad he saw that because I can still be a lot more valuable in the years ahead. He doesn't see the irony that he was forgiven as a worthless debtor. So he should forgive the debtors who owed him money. He doesn't see that because he's spoiled. He's used to privilege and he's used to thinking so highly of himself. Was he bitter? He probably was bitter because he's thinking inside himself, whatever it was that happened in my life that made my business plan go south, that made my dreams for success and showing the world what a good leader, businessman, producer, whatever it was I was going to be. I'm bitter because those things didn't happen and they should have happened. And if they would have happened and it's unfair, they didn't happen. I would be someone great today. So maybe he was spoiled. Maybe he, he didn't see the extent of his privilege. Maybe he was bitter and maybe he was insecure. Maybe he was so afraid that his bad luck and decisions were now fully exposed for everybody to see. And everybody around him would know that he wasn't the success story that he told them he was, that he dreamed they thought he was. Servant number one had to have such success before to have gotten such a big loan. And now with his high sense of pride, he was scared to admit what his life would look like if everybody knew he was a failure. So he couldn't let the opportunity to squeeze another couple thousand dollars out of a man who had his own life to live and his own sad stories to tell. The truth is that the unforgiving servant was a ghost. He wasn't fully aware of these forces in his mind that kept him from doing the right thing. He was holding onto a self-image that he needed to feel whole, that is, that he was successful and that he was in control. He was unable to let his dream go of success. He was unable to remember the grace he'd been given and to appreciate that the grace was so overwhelming that some of that had to flow out and bless somebody else with it. So yeah, it's a great story on why you need to forgive, but it's also a great story on how easy it is to be a ghost. What is Jesus trying to tell us here? I think three things. One, if you remember Chris's and my sermon series on the Beatitudes, offbeat spirituality, just last month, you remember that the, the Beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's almost as if here Jesus is, is reversing it, inverting it, where he says, blessed are those who are given mercy, for then they will be able to be merciful. But see, that's not how the world would say it. The world would say, lucky are the mercy getters, for then they have a leg up on the next part of their life. There's no sense of obligation in the world's view. And I'm not saying that that's not also true. They are darn lucky that they got the grace, and now they do have a step up in life. But a Christ follower marches to a different drummer. There's a different spiritual drumbeat guiding his life. Morally obligated are the mercy getters, for they must bestow mercy. One, we follow a different drummer. Two, it's bad to be a ghost. I mean, obviously, it's bad to be a ghost. You live, but you're not present. You love your family in theory, but you're not present enough that they get to feel it or that you get to feel them feeling it back. Somehow the laundry gets done or the lawn gets mowed or the paycheck gets earned and the tuition gets paid. But whether you're fully there to love and live life with them? That's the question. 
And many of us are not. We're semi-transparent parents. Because we're, we're preoccupied with the past, we're passive about things in the, in the present, and we're in a funk about the future, and we are not there. When our family needs us the most, in the ways they need us the most, we are just like ghosts. So, we march to a different drummer, it's bad to be a ghost, and number three, you need to let go. Or repent. Right? You need to let go and repent. If life is good and you're very proud of yourself, if you're a successful rule follower, if your 401k and your resume, they're all awesome and sterling, you need to let go of that servant sense of entitlement that servant number one had. You need to let go of that because if you think you totally deserve the good things you have, including some of the grace and mercy you've been shown, you're missing out on the real ebb and flow of real people's lives. If you don't let go of that entitlement, that sense that you earned it, you deserve it, I built this, if you don't let go of that or, or agree to let the ego wall come down a little bit, you can't see the ebb and flow of good and evil, of good luck and bad luck that happens to most of the people in the world. And you may live this shiny, happy life, but it's wafer thin. And it is not real. So, if life's good and you're proud, you need to repent. Repent, by the way, doesn't mean you say, I'm a terrible sinner, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. Repent means you change your mind. You change your perspective. You change the way you look at your life and you look at the world. If your life's gone bad and you're angry, if you played by the rules but still things turned out badly, and then you're bitter because you remember that what happened to you was unfair, it was hurtful, it may have even been evil. Think about the mass shooters. Even the people who survive, are, their lives are left crippled, physically, medically, financially. If something is evil has happened to you and you keep living in that, if you live in that anger and mourning past the due season that each of those emotions deserves, you bring that into the present with you, you are living in the past and you can't fully be in the past. You are a ghost. And the people around you only get ghosts like you. But God wants you. God wants you to be full of Him, not full of the past. So if your life has gone bad and you're angry and bitter, you too need to repent, to turn around and change your way of thinking. Maybe your life's gone bad and you feel guilty and ashamed. You feel so bad because you let these good chances or this good opportunity or this good marriage or this good job get away. Maybe you made Bad decision after bad decision when, when you knew in your mind and you knew everybody was praying for you to make good decisions. And now you're so ashamed of yourself that those, that those memories are haunting you like a ghost. The worry that you have that you will never measure up because you didn't measure up then haunts you like a ghost. And it prevents you from being fully present in your own eyes and in the eyes of the friends and family who deeply love you. You know, there's a reason that the windshield in a car is far, far bigger than the rearview mirror, right? We look in the rearview mirror to make sure we know it's behind us, just for safety's sake, just out of curiosity's sake. Having a rearview mirror in life is critical to remember what we've done wrong, not to punish ourselves, but to make sure we're on the straight and, and wiser right route right now. But the main part of life isn't looking in the rearview mirror, it's looking in the windshield ahead of us because the main point of life is living the days that we have yet to live. 
of living in the right now with the people in the car with us right now and giving them the safest and most meaningful trip we can possibly give them. The windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror for a reason. Frederick Beekner, Frederick Beekner wrote this, to repent is to come to your senses. It's not so much something you do, it's something that happens. True repentance spends less time looking at the past and saying, I'm sorry, than looking to the future and saying, wow. People who can't look to the future are ghosts. Don't become one. You know, there's this story of uh, when Nelson Mandela was released from prison. Bill Clinton was president, and Bill Clinton tells him that when he was let out of prison at the end of apartheid, or his apartheid was being dismantled after a long and bitter struggle, Nelson Mandela was being let out of prison. Bill Clinton awoken, awakened his daughter, Chelsea, at 3 o'clock in the morning because he said, I wanted her to see this historic event. And he said he zeroed in on this question to, to Nelson Mandela. He said, as you march from the cell block across the yard to the gate of the prison, the camera focused in on your face. This is Clinton. I have never seen such anger and even hatred in any man as was expressed in your face at that time. He said, that's not the, Mandel the, he's, that's not the Nelson Mandela I know today. What was that about? And Mandela answered Clinton, I'm surprised that you saw that, and I regret that the cameras caught my anger. As I walked across the courtyard that day, I thought to myself, they've taken from me everything that matters. My cause is dead. My family is gone. My friends have been killed. Now they're releasing me, but there's nothing left out there for me. And I hated them for what they had taken from me. And then I sensed an inner voice saying to me, Nelson, for 27 years you were their prisoner, but you were always a free man. Don't allow them to make you into a free man, only to turn you back into their prisoner. Friends, don't let the world, the evil of the world, the heartbreak of the world, or just the humanity of the world with all its imperfections. Don't let that make you a ghost who's imprisoned by your past even while it looks like you walk free. Don't let that happen. Instead, surrender this little bit of human freedom that we have. Not to some authority or some, or some phony cause. Surrender it to the giver of all freedom, to Jesus Christ. Jesus can make you alive and he can keep you alive. He can, he can cleanse the guilt of your past. He can transform the effects of your past. He can make your, presence, your present worthwhile and your future worth living for. If you want to trust him, no matter how much of a ghost you feel inside, no matter how scary are the things that swirl around you now, simply to do what Martin Luther said, when his spiritual father counseled him when he faced the accusations of Satan as he attempted to reform the church and heal himself of the mental and spiritual wounds that he dealt with day after day. His spiritual father said to Martin Luther, simply say this, 
Save me, Jesus. I am yours. That, my friends, stops all of us from becoming a ghost. I trust that the words that you need to say will be on your lips now and whenever. Whenever the evil swirls, whenever the ghosts arrive, and whenever your future looks haunted, save me, Jesus. I am yours. We'll see you next week.